0: From Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes to the early church, the early church that had its struggles inside and out, this was a church that was had its ups and downs, facing things in, in, in the world around it that were tough, facing some opposition, different factions, and then having some quarrels inside of it. And this is what Paul says to them in part. so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. God always blesses the reading of God's holy word. Come, Lord, lead us again. Shape this message. It may not be my words, but it might be your words. Come, Holy Spirit. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pure and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. We learned last week, it was looked at the, as we looked at the famous Christ hymn, what it's called, the hymn about Jesus um, that Paul referenced in the previous passage that God is downwardly mobile. God moves downward to save us. God does not save us by Directing power from the top. God does not save us by coercing us. God does not save us by overpowering us. God does not save us. Merely by sending a memo. (laughs) God saves us by fully. Entering into our situation. As flesh. Serving. And suffering. And dying in that flesh. And then rising to new life. In his Lordship, in Jesus Christ. This is the trajectory. It's down and then rising. After telling the Philippians about how Jesus Christ's saving Lordship is expressed through his serving and his death and his rising and his exaltation as Lord, Paul then says this to the Philippians and to us Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now, much more in my absence, he was with them, and now he's not. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. One of my favorite American theologians, George Hunsinger at Princeton, who trained Joe and I, he puts it this way in his commentary on Philippians. He says, Our work is to receive the gift of salvation once and for all again and again and more and more i like that once for all again and again and more and more i was listening to a formerly incarcerated person on who has like a inspirational thing on the web on the internet and he got out of prison a while ago after being in for like 10 years and he now does these motivational talks. And it's a very interesting story. Very insightful guy. Raw, of course, as you might expect. But fascinating. And he talked about how in his life behind bars. One of the things that they would do. Is they would do program. And program for him. I think as I recall. Involves waking up at 3.30 a.m. And exercising. Doing what they call burpees. And hitting it hard and getting other people to do what he did. And he said, you don't break program for nothing. And this guy is ripped. <laughs> he is absolutely in phenomenal shape. And that's why he's got a story and a testimony coming out of all of that darkness. Not a distinctly Christian testimony, but uh, not unlike the ark of salvation that we have in our gospel. We don't break program. This is what Paul is saying. Paul is giving us our salvation workout program in our texts. All analogies fail at some level to grasp the mystery of our faith, right? There is fundamental mystery here about how God saves us. We're never gonna, no analogy can hold it totally, right? But you could think about this as salvation as a kind of muscles that god gives us that we empowered by the spirit work so they're a gift but we work out and i love what george does in his commentary with the once and for all again and again and more and more right so the first stage of the workout Is working out once and for all. Knowing that we are saved in Jesus Christ. This is sort of our core. Like our strengthening our core. We're planking. You know we're trying to get the the core muscles set right. We are saved by Jesus. Once. For all. As George writes. When Christ is acknowledged and received. Through word and spirit. He preserves the faithful in salvation. In a way that cannot be undone. Jesus says in John 10. I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1. He will keep you firm to the end. So that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to work out our salvation muscles. To grasp the once for all nature of being saved. That we're covered. God's got us. We're his. As one of my other seminary professors said. Bruce McCormick said it at Princeton one time. He said. He said, I could lose my salvation 10 times a day, but it's Christ who holds my salvation. I thought that was really good. He's got us. Once and for all, we repose, we rest in that. And we work that out. We work that into us day by day, remembering that. Do we believe that he's got us, that you really belong to him, that you've been claimed, cleansed, grasped in Jesus Christ once for all? We also need to work out our salvation muscles to receive what God has given us in that again and again, right? So we believe that it's happened once and for all, but we need to receive what has happened again and again. As Dr. Hunsinger puts it, the faithful turn to God with empty hands, but like manna, it is new each morning. Receiving this good news of Jesus Christ once for all and receiving that once and for all again and again and again, we need to hear it every day. That's the program that we can't break. We've got to hear it again. This is what we do here. We hear it again in how people pray for us. In him sung. In scripture proclaimed. In how we love each other. How we embrace each other post-COVID. Right? Dale Bruner, Presbyterian Bible scholar, used to be at Whitworth. He wrote a, gospel, a commentary on Matthew. and he, I've said this before. But he comments how... In the Sermon on the Mount, which is the greatest ethical statement probably of all time in Christianity, it doesn't begin with the do's. It begins first with God who wants to bless us. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So before God asks us to do one thing in the Sermon on the Mount, he blesses us. And then as Dale says so powerfully, and everything we're asked to do drives us back to the original blessing. Because <laughs> you can't do it without the blessing. So again and again and again, the workout of salvation is daily receiving what God has done once and for all. Daily receiving again and again what God has done once and for all. We got to work out. We can't break program. If we break program, we'll lose our way. We'll forget what he's done for us. Remembering again and again that you really are. That yes, even that, even that, even that was forgiven by the blood of Christ. Remembering again and again that his once and for all sacrifice and his love for us means that you're defined by God's mercy more than anything else you could ever do or be in this life. We remember again and again what he did once and for all. And then the third sense that George talks about in his commentary. We grow as we remember what he's done once and for all. We grow in the more and more. Second Peter says we grow In grace and knowledge calls us to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The once and for all remembered as again and again and received again and again becomes the more and more. We work out our salvation that has come once for all. We receive it again and again and we grow more and more. As Dr. Hunsinger says, in the present tense, while there is only one saving agent, that's God... There's more than one acting subject. God operates in the faithful, but we cooperate with him. We cooperate with his grace by partaking in it, by receiving it. Remember what he's done once and for all, again and again, and we receive them more and more. We can't break program. This is what Paul says the early church that's struggling with external pressure from judaizers who are saying you got to make christianity more jewish from libertines who are saying hey you don't need all those rules paul doesn't spend a lot of time critiquing those outer perspectives what he does is he tells the philippians don't break program for nothing Paul is so sure of his salvation. Paul is so strong in his program of salvation. Paul is is so convinced through the salvation muscles that he's built as he's worked this salvation into his life that even though Paul himself is in jail, basically, we think in Rome, we think he's under house arrest. There's different theories about where he could be right now, but we think it's house arrest in Rome that comports well with Acts 28. He's under house arrest. But he still sees that reality from a whole different perspective. When you stick with the program, you begin to see life from a whole different way. How does Paul get there? He sticks with the program. He works out of salvation for it is God at work in him. But you know what I struck? I was struck with this week as I read this someone said you you never read the same book twice and I feel like you never read the Bible, the same Bible twice because the spirit is active and showing you stuff. I saw something. I wonder if this was even just, sometimes things hit you. It feels like the first time it hits you. Work out your salvation for it is God at work in you. You know what's in the middle of that? Work out your salvation for it is God at work in you. There's something in the middle there that I missed. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God at work in you. Well, it's clearly not meant to be a fear and trembling like we have to fear losing our status because we're secure. That's the whole major theme of scripture is God's tenacity with us. We might deal with the consequences of, of failing like Israel did and like the disciples did, but God sticks with us. So we don't have to be fearing and trembling about losing. You know, God basically turning his back and walking away. It's not about fear and trembling of being worried about getting hit upside the head with a two by four if we don't do what God wants. It's something else. It's some other fear and trembling. I'm thinking of the Mark chapter 4 story. Remember Jesus in the boat? Remember the story of how that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and I've sat in a boat in the Sea of Galilee and it's surrounded by mountains and you get a sense. We had a little bit of a, not like a storm, but I saw a, squall, a little, little wind blow up in the, in the sea while I was out there in a the boat. And I, I can tell you it was, it was a little exciting. It wasn't nothing like this, but it was exciting. Mm. It was memorable. A furious squall came up and waves broke over the boat and it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Here is Fear and Trembling. It's easy to lose all perspective when we focus on fearing the wrong thing. When we're awed by the wrong stuff. Not that there aren't things in life that are legitimately scary. I mean, right now we have a lot of fear in our culture. I don't know if I've ever seen so many church-going Christians afraid There was a lot of fear, a lot of very dynamic, drastic talk about where the culture's heading, about this law and that law and that debate and this debate, and it's cast in these very dynamic, apocalyptic terms. And there is such fear coursing through the nation's central nervous system. And I've said it before, I'll say it again, because I think it's an insight I've heard that's very true. Much of our culture is living out of its reptile brain, which is designed to make us flee bears, not make us come up with solutions to difficult problems. So we're on the run and we're scared, but maybe we're in awe and reverence of the wrong stuff, the wrong thing. Paul says, don't break program. Work out your salvation, for it is God at work in you. And the center of that is is a, a healthy, awing fear and trembling. Not a fear of getting smacked, but more like a fear that comes when I used to go up to New England and stare out the stare out at the Atlantic Ocean up there. I love the ocean. And the same here the Pacific over at Larrabee or something, you get a sense of the might and majesty of the ocean and what it could do. And it's awesome in here as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling we remember who's in the room with us god is is not to be trifled with you could think of it as if that gentleman who's on the internet giving those inspirational talks and who's ripped and who's strong and has come out of prison and done it and living a new life if he was there with you working out whether or not you wouldn't necessarily be afraid of him, but you would have a sense of awe, like wow, this guy is amazing, and I want to stick with my stick with my program. Remember the one who was in the room with us and let the awe and reverence of that inside. Dr. Hansinger says this way He says, Fear and trembling points to spiritual, holy awe. George says we need to be eccentric. And what he's kind of getting at there is the, eccentric, the, the word eccentric has an origin, which, uh, whether it's Latin and Greek, the X is out of, and the centric is center. So maybe out of a center on self. That's what uh, awe does. I am not centered on me, I'm centered on whatever. Whoa, that is. that is. That is God in the room with me. Gave me this salvation that I have to work on. That is awesome. And that leaves me like, are we awed by the right thing? When we're awed by the right stuff and we're on our salvation program, it affects everything. It affects our words. It's interesting to me that Paul goes right from this very deep, kind of thick, dense, quick statement about. Theology and work out your salvation has got to work in you, fear and awe. And then he says, verse 14, don't grumble or argue. <laughs> Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Everything? Really? Everything, Paul? So that you may become blameless and pure. He knows for people on the way. He knows this is a process. He knows he was in process once. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. A lot of words being spoken and written in our culture right now. A lot of grumbling. How is it for you? How have your words been? What have you been saying? What have you been listening to? How is it affecting you? What have you been grumbling about or arguing about? What grumbling or arguing have you been listening to? It's so easy for the words to overwhelm us. I've never been more aware. I love news and learning about current events and what's going on out there but I have been keenly aware of the need to put some limits on that too much exposure listen to the book of James he warns us about words he says in chapter 3 the tongue also is a fire a world of evil among the parts of the body It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. As my daughter would say, bro, bro, James, dude. Well, this fits well with Paul because Paul has just talked about salvation and then he's warning us against grumbling and now James says, grumbling in your tongue has a direct line to hell. You kind of see how that all fits together. That really struck me today. We have to be intentional about monitoring our grumbling. There's an echo to the book of Exodus here when, as one scholar describes it, the Israelites complained against God. This is that generational phrase that's used here in this text. And Moses makes clear to them, "Hey you're complaining not as much against me but against God. Watch your tongue. Words overwhelm us. They have power. Words are dangerous. And just as a regular physical workout program has good results in the rest of our lives, our salvation workout program will have good results in our words. It, that's where it shows up. It's so interesting, isn't it? That right after this text, Paul goes right to words. It's interesting. God creates with words in Genesis. He speaks. And James word, warns us about words being connected with hell. Jesus calms the storm with words. And maybe we and I, all of us, can spin up storms in ourselves with words. Maybe we can get ourselves off, knocked off the track of our salvation program with the wrong words. A rigorous salvation workout program will result in good words. And then Paul says then you will shine. That's his primary concern, by the way. Even though they're taking all this heat. Even though they have this opposition, internal and external. He doesn't dive really into that. And he, we'll hear a little bit about some of that more later in the Philippians. But where he starts is, hey, just shine. Just, just do, your, do your salvation workout. Don't break program. And you'll shine. Make that. Start with yourselves. And his whole perspective on his house arrest, he he's shining there. He's shining while he's under arrest. Doesn't matter what his context is. So he could curse the arrest. He could rip on the Roman army or or the the people that put him there. He could complain and complain and complain about his circumstances and the culture that's against him and everything that's allayed and and he doesn't do that. He just says, Don't break program. And you'll shine. That's why he's able to say to the Philippians, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, what a phrase. He's the sacrifice, and they're pouring him out. He says, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. I I think this language of sacrifice for the world right now among christians is so absent lacking it's probably it's there but it's not prominent i don't know if we're known for this right now i know some of you do this and are but i'm saying as a whole i think we need some remedial work here and i say this to me and everybody sacrificing for the world like our hymn last week like christ does Paul is taking them out and saying, This is your calling. He's, he's sacrificing. He's sitting in a, in an unjust, wrong place. He shouldn't be in jail, but he sees it as a place to be poured out and sacrificed for God. And so he says, I am glad. This is what program does, salvation program does once and for all, day by day, more and more. This is what happens like in verse 16, where he says, as you hold firmly to the word of life, we can shine because the word described in John's gospel as Jesus himself comes to us, engages us, reaches out his hand. The word has a hand we can hold. And when we take his hand and grip his hand and let his life, which John describes as the light of all people, shine on us, then we'll shine too wherever we are. Whatever the circumstance. May it be so for me and for you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.